Women who misbehave. A podcast about the intersections of pop culture, the political, the personal, and even the spiritual. We're your hosts, Betsy Aime and Linda Garcia. Hi, and welcome to Women Who Misbehave. I'm your host for today, Betsy. Linda is actually out making Hollywood magic for the upcoming film, How to Be a Latin Lover, which will be in theaters April 28th. We're excited to be back together, hopefully next week. And thank you all so much for all the support and love that you gave to her for her last episode, where she talked about her intuition and the many voices that she has within. We are continuously thankful for all the support we're getting from all of you, the comments, the emails, they fill us with so much love and gratitude. And we're really excited to be on this journey with all of you. Today, I'm actually going to talk to you about my experience last week at the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within seminar that took place here in Los Angeles. It was a four-day event, so it was 50 hours of really focusing on ourselves, who we are, where we want to go with our lives. It was a completely life-changing experience, and I'm super excited to dedicate this mini episode to share with all of you my experience. I think I want to start off by sharing my 10 giveaways, but first I kind of want to give an overview of what the four days are actually like. And so Tony Robbins, in case you haven't heard of him, he they put out a great documentary about him on Netflix called I Am Not Your Guru, which I recommend that you watch. That was actually the first time that I was truly exposed to him and his message. Um, and it was really powerful and had a deep impact on me. So I was really excited and grateful that I was able to attend the seminar last week. And so one of the things is since the 1980s, he's been really working on the science and psychology of thought and how they impact what our lives actually become and they really shape the course of our lives. And so this is what a lot about what the four days were about. And one of the most prominent things that the seminar is known for is for the firewalk. So it was a Thursday through Sunday event. And on Thursday, the first day, we actually had to walk on hot coals after a 12-hour seminar session with him and one of his associates, Joseph. It was crazy. You know, I wish I could put into words the feeling and emotion that I felt. I went in knowing that I was definitely going to do the walk on fire because I really wanted to give this my all and I really wanted to be open to the experience and everything that it can bring. And I had read before from a lot of people who had done it that it was a very spiritual and life-changing experience. So I went in there, but then as I got closer and they started talking about it, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But before you actually go on the fire walk, you go through this day-long seminar where you talk about Uh, the forces that hold you back in life. You reflect on your life, you reflect on limiting beliefs, and you reflect on things that have in the past held you back from taking action, from making significant changes in your life. What he does is that he puts you in this state where you're, we were with 9,000 people. Um, It was me, my fiance, and a few of our other friends who were there as well. He puts you in the state where you are dancing and chanting and doing affirmations and incantations with 9,000 other people. So the energy in this room, I, I cannot, I had never experienced anything like it. Imagine, you know, the most animated concert you've been to and then multiply that by 9,000 and then multiply that energy over the course of four days. This is what we experienced. And so one of the things he talks about is that the way we feel in our energy and how we set it is actually very much dependent on our physical body and how much movement we have. So there was really loud music and at least, you know, once or twice an hour we would get up and we would dance and we would chant and he would have us kind of assume our power position. And that power position is actually what we used as leverage to to compel us to actually take the firewalk later in the evening. 
So after this 12-hour session, around 10.30, we all walked over. This was at the USC Galen Center. So we all walked over to the Shrine Auditorium, and they had set up coals for 9,000 people to do this walk. As we're walking over there, we were all chanting. You know, we all had our power poses ready, and he has people from his team who are actually there to help you, help propel you to actually take the walk. The purpose of the walk, it's really a metaphor for everything in your life that you have feared in the past, and it's a way of you really putting those fears behind you to really set the tone to actually build a plan and build the life that you want. My observations, just anecdotally, was that most of the people who attended actually did the fire walk, and so we walked over, we were pumped, we were ready to go, and I was really almost in a state of trance when I walked so much that afterwards people were telling us that Tony Robbins was actually standing right by us when we did the walk I didn't even realize because I was so much into the trance of like I'm doing this I'm overcoming my fears I thought of all other things that I had overcome in my life other difficult situations and I really channeled that energy to take this walk and another thing he's trying to demonstrate to you is that your brain can choose whether or not to feel or experience pain and that what you focus on often becomes part of the outcomes of your life. So in that case, it was not to focus on the pain that we could potentially experience from walking on hot coals, but he actually had us do an affirmation during the walk, which was cool moss, which is basically the opposite of what we were doing because we were walking on hot coals. Um, and so it, it's really an exercise that was going to prepare us for everything that came later. But at first, I thought, oh, shoot, I thought we would do the fire walk at the end of this, not at the beginning of this. But it totally made sense by the end of it why we start off with the fire walk. So that was day one. We were pumped. I felt like a sense of energy I hadn't felt in a long time. After I did the walk, I kind of started understanding why people pursue extreme sports or bungee jumping or things that I would consider crazy and dangerous because you get this high and this rush that was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And to put it into context, I had my first panic attack when I was 10 or 11 on a roller coaster at Six Flags Magic Mountain. So I definitely am not a thrill or sensation seeker or somebody who likes to pursue dangerous situations for fun. So this was definitely something that I, I'm really proud of and I'm really excited that I, I overcame any fears and doubts or resistance that I had about this. Day two was actually about closing the gap. So now that we had overcome our fears, metaphorically speaking, and literally speaking in many cases during the firewalk, we actually talked about then how we close the gap between the life we have and the life we want. And so there's a series of exercises that we go through, some of which I'll talk about when I go through my top 10 takeaways. So this was a really significant day because you actually go through and you talk about, you know, what are the driving forces in my life? How have they held me back? And then we actually do a really big worksheet exercise where you actually talk about like, this is the life I have. These are the things I want to achieve. And these are the things I need to change about myself. I think one of the misconceptions about Tony Robbins or self-help or things like The Secret is that they make you feel like, oh, if I make a vision board and cut out a Corvette, I'm going to get a Corvette just by doing that. Or, oh, if I imagine everything that I want, it's going to happen. And one of my takeaways as somebody who was previously very reluctant to accept any kind of self-help or motivational speaker type of activities or, or people was that I felt that it was like, oh, you just change your thoughts and you change your life. It's that easy. A, I've come to realize that it actually plays a really important role. And the point of this envisioning and imagining and, you know, thinking and placing yourself in situations 
in the life that you want, the point of that is really to compel you to action. And so a big focus of the seminar, which I really loved, was overall, it's not just like, oh, think positive and think happy thoughts, but it's like use those thoughts to propel you to take action. You know, if you want to lose weight, use those thoughts to propel you to take act to take massive action on your weight or on your career or on your relationship. And a lot of it is incorporating reflections of our own past and our own behavior and identifying what some of those patterns of behavior are and what those beliefs are that have been continuously holding us back. Day three was actually about releasing those limiting beliefs. So now that we knew what those beliefs were and now that we knew the life we wanted and we had thought about what we needed to do to get there, it was about how do we release these these thoughts that are holding us back? And then it was an assessment of our own life where we talked about um, something called the wheel of life. And I'll, I'll find an image and I'll post it in the show notes. He actually had us look at seven elements of our life, which is our physical body, our emotions and our meaning, which according to him is one of the most important elements of our life because where we place our emotions determines a lot of other things in our life to give you guys an example if I think all men are cheaters then I'm naturally gonna continue to almost attract men like that in my life because that's what I'm focusing on and I'm gonna continue to see any behavior that could potentially be a sign of cheating I'm gonna automatically assume it's cheating and that's gonna shape how I view the world who I date and my existence overall Then he had us analyze our relationships with people, our time. He really thinks that time is a manifestation of our own thought beliefs, right? So I can run around telling myself, oh my God, I have no time for anything. Oh my God, I have no time for anything. And kind of choose to be in this constant state of overwhelm. Or I can take control of my time and my day and really think about how I'm letting other people dictate what I do with my time and time that I'm wasting myself, right? Then he also had us analyze our work and career and our mission. You know, for some people, work is just work and they're fine with that. For some people, career, they they think of their work as a career and a profession. And for some people, the work and career they have is tied into a higher mission or a higher calling they have in life. And then he had us look at our finances. And then he had us look at something that I found really significant just because it's something that I sometimes don't do too often, which is really celebrate. How do we celebrate our successes? How do we celebrate small milestones when it comes to things we want to accomplish? And then how do we contribute and give back to other people? So that was kind of a little bit of a summary of the first three days. And then day four was really about energy. And the reason why he focuses on this is because if your physical body isn't allowing you energy to achieve all the things you want to do, it's going to be really hard for you to you know, move to Bora Bora or for you to, you know, move up in your career, go back to grad school if you don't have the proper energy and your body isn't being fueled adequately. So they dedicated a whole day to energy. But they also talked about something which I really loved, which was the connection between your energy and your emotions. And how if we're constantly in a state of sadness or a state of anxiety, that's actually going to affect our physical energy as well. So those two things are interrelated. And on the other hand, if you're not feeling your body properly, it's going to be hard for you to feel truly energetic. So that was really good. So now I want to go into my top 10 takeaways. One of them was progress equals happiness and decisions equal our destiny, not our conditions. One of the things he did, which if you've seen the documentary, you saw him do this, is he'll actually select people from one of the areas of the of the stadium and he actually would have them talk about some of their issues, what are some of the things that are holding them back, and then help them work through how to overcome some of the thought processes. 
So there was a woman there who had gone through some pretty traumatic events in her childhood, both in her adult life and abusive relationship. There was just a lot of sadness in her life and you could completely see this reflected in her face. And he talked to her a little bit about how, yes, those things happened to her, but her decision to continue to focus on them was partially what was holding her back and leaving her in this state. So I'm going to say this. I am somebody who's had depression and anxiety. So I think a few years ago, I would have completely rejected the thought that you know, I was giving myself depression or I was making myself more depressed. My depression in my case was was mild, but it's been a recurring theme in my life. And so I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of, I've done group therapy and just a lot of behavioral therapy as well to learn how to retrain my mind, which tends to, especially more so in the past, tended to always go to what I call the ANTs, which are automatic negative thoughts, which means like if something bad happened, it was like, oh, Of course, bad things always happen to me. So walking around looking at the world through this lens was really damaging to me. You know, I don't want to minimize anyone who has major depression, anyone who is having a difficult time, but this is just kind of the experience and the perspective of of Tony Robbins that I'm sharing right now. So he really believes that our, you know, it's not our conditions or what's happening in our lives, but it's really our perspective that determines how we feel ultimately. Ultimately, we have control over certain things and we have control over how we feel and what we choose to focus on. Number two, we all have a flavor of suffering, whether it's overwhelm, anger, anxiety, or worry. This was really significant to me. He talked to us about how on any given moment or any given time that something bad happens or something negative is happening, we choose to either react to it by suffering, by feeling overwhelmed, by being anger or being anxious or being worried. And so he had us all talk through amongst small groups about which one of these we tended to gravitate towards. Um, and mine was definitely anxiety and worry and overwhelm. Okay, maybe I, I was overrepresented and I, I used too many of these. And then he talks to us about the physical effects of this. So he talks about how five, you know, a, a few minutes of anger actually compromises our immune system for six hours. And so our body has a way of actually reacting to the type of energy we're putting out there and we're, we're experiencing in our bodies at any given moment. Number three is complexity is the enemy of productivity. So how many times has this happened to you where you have these feelings of anxiety and overwhelm like, oh my God, I have no time to do this. There's so much going on. I'm never going to finish that. I'm not going to do that. It's not going to happen. I can't do it right. And so sometimes we overanalyze things and that is a way of stopping ourselves from taking action. And so he had us go through what are some of the limiting beliefs that are behind that, right? So at the core of that, it could be, it was for me, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do this. So I need... I need all the time in the world and I need, you know, the right mental space and, and I, oh my God, I can't do this. And so then we stop ourselves uh, before even getting ahead. And this reminded me of something that a boss told me years ago, which was don't let perfect be the enemy of the good because I would constantly paralyze myself in projects because I wanted them to be perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, it just wasn't good enough for me. And so I would obsess. And if if I found a mistake afterwards or something I could have said differently, I would obsess about that. And so that's actually something that I had already been trying to practice, which was rather than say, oh, that email is going to be too complicated for me to write right now, or, or I can't possibly do that now. Just just get things done um, and learn to be more efficient in that way um, in my work life. Number four, the force that controls the quality of your life is meaning and emotion. And that goes into these three mandates that he recommends so that we can shift the way we, we think about things and the emotions we experience around certain situations or certain people. Number one, see it as it is, not worse than it is. Number two, 
see it better than it is. Number three, make it the way you see it. So theoretically, if we do number one, which is see it as it is, not worse than it is, that'll allow us to get us to step two, which is see it better than it is. Number three, make it the way you see it. I'll give you guys an example from my own life. In 2013, after I had my son, four weeks after, I was laid off from my job. And this had been really not a job for me. It was actually very much tied to my career and my mission in life, which I believe is to help other people, specifically women and their children, have better lives. So this job I had had really been at the core of who I was and how I defined myself in the world. And so when I lost it, it was really an opportunity for me to make a choice, which was I could choose to be sad and be upset and being negative and feel bad for myself, which of course I did for a few days, a few short weeks probably. Um, it, it, it's all kind of a blur because I had also just had a almost 10 pound child. Or you can see it better than it is. So then once I came out of that initial um, feeling of despair and sadness and really worry, worry about money and worry about, you know, that loss of income and what it would do for my family, I saw it for what it was. I saw it as, you know, I hadn't been completely happy in this job for a while. I had been there um, waiting to have my son and then I wanted to do something else I shifted narrative and instead of thinking they broke up with me I thought of it as well this was really more of a mutual breakup because I didn't really want to be there either I saw it better than it was rather than what it was and then I saw it better than that I started thinking this is really an opportunity for me to pursue my writing for me to pursue my creative projects you know I was just given the freedom to start over and I was also given the freedom to spend this really valuable time with my son and I, I'm never going to regret having those few critical months to not only spend time with my son, but to adjust to the change of being uh, a mother and being a caregiver for another human. And then number three, which is make it the way you see it. So look, I won't tell you that this was all rose colored and all turned out okay, but I will tell you that I was able to make inroads in my writing. I was able to dedicate some more time to it and some more thought into really what do I want my next step to be? And even though I eventually did take a full-time job in that same field, this is a job that I was able to leave a few months ago because of the seeds that were planted during this time in my life where I realized this is really what I want to be doing. This is where I want to take my life. And it compelled me to take action in a way that maybe I wouldn't have taken action if I was still in the comfort of my salary and just wrapped into the day-to-day of my, of my job. This one really resonated with me because I feel like I tend to maybe go to the worst case scenario and I let that worst case scenario fear drive a lot of my actions. I think what could sometimes be manifested as controlling behavior, it can be driven from this fear of like the worst case scenario coming to fruition. Number five, we have to raise our standards. So if you want to close the gap in our life, we have to raise our standards. And what this means, and I'm quoting him directly, is when you raise your standards and turn your should into a must, you are making an inner shift to take control over the quality of your life. So I think this goes back to one of the main points of this, which is don't act as if things are happening to you. Assume control for the things that you can control in your life. In any area, this is going back to him, any area where you are not getting what you want is because you haven't raised your standards. So how do you define yourself? And when did you start to believe that? How many years ago did you decide what you could and couldn't do in your life? So it's kind of saying, oh, I'm not a morning person Or, oh, yeah, I don't do stuff like that. Or people like me don't do that. Don't you think it's time to raise your standards? Turn your should into must and give yourself a new identity. 
So I think this is really important. And I think especially for those of us who belong belong to underrepresented groups, where we sometimes don't see ourselves reflected in the roles that we want to be, it can be hard to be able to raise our standards or to even think that certain things are possible for us because no one's done it before. People like us don't do that. And so it can be really challenging and we really have to push our thinking um, to raise our standards and to believe that even if no one else has done it, we can be the people who pioneer in this area. Number six, the words you attach to your life become your reality. This goes back to some of the examples I was given, I, I gave before of, oh, if all men cheat, then I'm gonna see the world through that through that lens and that's gonna automatically lower my standards, right? Because then I'll be like, oh, well, this guy's kind of okay, but at least he doesn't cheat. So that's the issue with having some of these negative thoughts, right? Is that they can really become the reality in our life. There's two forces that influence how we react to things. One is our state, moment to moment. And by state, he he refers to our emotional state. Are we sad? Are we upset? Are we anxious? And then blueprint. And this is something that's given more to us by our parents and by our upbringing and by our own experience. What are our long-term values and what are our long-term expectations? One of the beliefs that I realized that I have is that money always goes away. So we talked about this with my wedding a little bit about me having financial anxieties. But if if I'm caught in this long-term belief of money scarcity, that is going to influence how my life ultimately plays out. Number seven, changing your focus will change your emotions. Do you focus on what you're missing or do you focus on what you have? Do you focus on what you control? I think this is easy and hard at the same time because it can be easy to say, if you're sad, don't focus on being sad. But sometimes when we want to not focus on being sad, we focus on being sad. So that's why he goes through a lot of exercises with us through the, throughout the weekend about how to build these emotional reserves. So one of the most powerful exercises he does, it was about a 45-minute, I don't know if you would call it a meditation, where he has you go into thinking about moments in your life that you're grateful for, whether it's you know a, a love you had, even if you lost it, or your family, or things you love, or accomplishments. And he has you build this reserve and this set of visions that you can tap into. So if at any moment you're focusing or dwelling too much on certain negative things, you always have the memory of these other things that you're super grateful for and that have given you tremendous joy. You have them to actually be something to help you change your mind and change your focus. So if anyone wants to try that, try it and let me know. Um, build your first build up your reserves, spend some time thinking about gratitude and things you're grateful for. And next time you're, you're having negative emotions, try tapping into those and see if it shifts your state in that moment. Let's take a quick break and then I'll be back with the last three and then we'll go into current issues. And we're back to Women Who Misbehave. And we're going to go into the last three takeaways I had from the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within experience. Number eight, success leaves clues. Your peers set the standard for your life, so we need to choose them wisely. And also learn from them and not see them as a threat, but see them as a learning opportunity. He gives an example about going on a trip, being invited to go on a trip that was $35,000. I know, total baller status, right? And... But $35,000 was actually a lot of money for him to just spend on one full swing trip. And so he tells this person who had invited him, who was another millionaire billionaire, which he wasn't at that level at that point, and how the guy said, I'm inviting you to, to be in this network with powerful people and you're worrying about the money. Think about the potential for income earning that might come from this. 
one of his takeaways from this was that proximity around people who are living life at a higher level, whether it's financially or spiritually, is really instrumental to our growth. Another thing he talks about, which I thought was really significant, especially for those of us who um, maybe come from a, a Latino cultural background where family is kind of the highest you know, it's like family and then friends, not friends or peers and then family. Family has this like particular meaning in our culture. He talks about you love your family, but you choose your peers. I think what he was trying to say is that you shouldn't necessarily, you should of course love your family and support your family, but they don't necessarily have to be the mirror upon which you see yourself. And I thought this was interesting because it made me think of a conversation I had with a friend about feeling guilty about making more money than her parents and feeling guilty about you know, spending money on things that would have been luxuries for her parents. And I think especially for those of us who come from immigrant backgrounds, there is a little bit of guilt that comes with, you know, having this other group of peers and maybe not and having lives that are so completely different from our families that sometimes at a point we feel disconnected. I've definitely experienced this with my own parents. I mean, even going to this Tony Robbins thing, right? It sounds completely like first world, like self-indulgent to go spend 50 hours. But the reality is that people who are uber successful, however you define that, or who are living life at a higher level, whether it's spiritually or financially, they dedicate a lot of time to themselves and a lot of time cultivating themselves. So we should never be ashamed or feel like we have to apologize for investing that time and even money in ourselves in this case. Number nine, the purpose of the goal is what you become when you're pursuing it. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of the goal is not the goal, but what you become when you are pursuing it. I think this is significant because a lot of times we tend to be achievers, a culture of achievement. And so we think when I have this, I'll be happy. When I get that, I'll be happy. And really, sometimes it's not getting to the goal. It's everything that we accomplish and achieve while we're getting to that goal. It's the grit. It's the determination. It's celebrating the small victories along the way that really transforms us. And I thought about, um, you know, graduating college and getting my, my degree was one of the, the big things I knew I wanted to achieve in my life from the moment I was a little girl. And then when I actually walked the stage, I don't think I experienced the level of, of, of euphoria and emotion that I thought I was going to experience. And then I think A has to do with first my inability to celebrate my, my own successes. And B, it has something to do with the fact that like walking the stage itself was just a culmination of years of hard work and years of, of, of struggle and years of, you know, late nights and working hard and interning. So a lot of the growth that actually happened to me didn't happen when I walked across that stage. It happened to me in the years leading up to me walking across that stage. So I thought that was really significant as well. And that relates to something else that he talked about, which is that there's certain driving forces that guide our lives. And I thought this exercise was was super important because we talk about how there's different drives that motivate us to, to take action or that drive our behavior. And I'm going to list them for you. So one is stability. The, the second is significance. The third is love and connection. And then we also have um, two spiritual needs, which is growth and contribution. And so one of the things I realized for myself is that significance, which basically means like we want to find meaning in our life and we want to be recognized in our life, that was really one of the big driving forces for me in the past. And uh, that really is a reason why I would prioritize my career over anybody else, over friends, over family, over relationships, because that was really kind of what was driving me. And that's very common for those of us who are 
achievers is that we we tend to prioritize that. And stability really, I think, leads to us playing it safe, right? We don't want to leave that relationship because we're afraid of being alone or what happens next. And so it was really interesting to to dive into what are some of these core things that drive us. And one of the things he talked about is the two spiritual needs, which are growth and contribution. And he talks about how so often we're disconnected from these. Like we don't appreciate that progress makes us happy, that feeling like we're growing as humans and progressing along our own evolution and and, um, path is really instrumental to making us feel fulfilled. Uh, Because if you're just being driven by significance and stability, you're not necessarily going to find that fulfillment. And another one that leads us to fulfillment is contributing. And I realized that one of the things, one of the disconnects I really found working in politics is that I felt like a lot of people were doing this work for significance. They were doing it because for themselves it was there was a lot of ego you know using the terms that that linda uses there was a lot of ego and a lot of a lot of filling that ego that drove people to be in politics and kind of this this power hungry house of cards type of experience of being in politics and for me what what being involved in these movements did is that it really made me feel like i was contributing made me feel like i was giving to something higher than myself like i was part of something higher than myself and one of the things that we know is that whenever we feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves whether it be religion whether it be a social political movement, that gives our spirit a fulfillment that it needs. So I really want to encourage you all to think about these two spiritual needs, growth and contribution. By the way, you can Google all this and I'll try to include most a lot of it in the show notes. Number 10, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Achievement will never heal pain. I'm going to read that again. Success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Achievement will never heal pain. So if we're trying to you know, overachieve to heal things from our past or pain that we were carrying, that's never going to go away. We have to deal with it head on. And that's what a lot of these 50 hours I spent at the Tony Robbins seminar were about. So there you have it. If you have any other questions, any other areas of concern, or if anything wasn't clear, please, um, you know, you can message me at Betsy I Miss C on Instagram, or you can message Women Who Misbehave or send us an email at womenwhomisbehave at gmail.com, and I'm happy to talk about it further. And I think the last thing I want to say is that if you're anything like me, the first thing you'll do is you'll Google how much this was. So this was, uh, depending on when you bought the ticket, it was between $630 and $800. I want to say this. If I had taken all the money I spent going to bars and going to the mall to buy myself things or drink things or eat things to make myself feel better um, because I was in a wretched emotional state, I would have had way more than $800 to pay for this ticket. And again, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is let's not feel selfish about investing in our development, about investing in our spiritual journey and growth, because that's a really important part of why we're here. So don't ever feel selfish or indulgent to spend that kind of money on yourself and on your own growth. We're going to take another quick break and then we'll be back for a quick note on current issues. And we're back to current issues. So real quick, uh, today is March 31st. By the time you listen to this, we'll be done with March. And so we're done with our month of paying it forward. So I hope that you all had the opportunity to pay it forward. Um, we were really excited to, to do a focus on this and share with us how, we're, how we've been paying it forward. And so one of the things that I came away with 
from this seminar. And I want to say this ticket was actually gifted to me by um, some very special people in my life who I'm really, I'm really grateful for. And so my takeaway from this was that next year I'm going to gift somebody a ticket to attend this because it was such a life-changing experience. And I think if you are in the right moment in time in your life, this could really um, take you to the next level. And the other thing I am going to say is that um, next time I'll share kind of what my areas of focus are going to be based on my takeaways from this. And then lastly, I want to say that today is Cesar Chavez Day was celebrated this week. And I also want to shout out Dolores Huerta, who was a woman who was super instrumental in everything that Cesar Chavez accomplished. And she actually talks about how she had to call out sexism within the United Farm Workers organization that her and Cesar Chavez led. So I think a lot of times men get a lot of the recognition and not trying to minimize his own contributions. But since it's Women History Month, I wanted to honor him and also shout out her. Um, and she's definitely continued to carry that baton for immigrants, for farm workers and for women since his passing in the 90s. That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have Linda and I back together. I really missed her today, but I was happy to have you all to share this experience with. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful week. Don't forget to follow us at Women Who Misbehave on Instagram. You can also email us, womenwhomisbehave at gmail.com. If you want to follow Linda, her handle is at LoseWarrior, and I am at Betsy, I Messi. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter currently. You can do that on my website, BetsyIMed.com. Thank you so much. I love all of you. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye.